Hello and welcome to the Hormones in Harmony podcast. I'm your host, Vivian Allred, naturopathic nutritional therapist and hormone enthusiast. If you want to learn how to rebalance your female hormones, regulate your menstrual cycle and reclaim your vitality, then you are in the right place. Each week I will be delving into different conditions such as PCOS, endometriosis, infertility, hypothyroidism, acne and hair loss. Stay tuned for interviews with expert guests, Q&As and solo episodes that are all intended to help you move from hormonal chaos to hormonal harmony. If you'd like to submit a question for me to answer on the podcast, then you can email them to hormonesinharmony at gmail.com. The information shared on this podcast is intended for educational purposes only and is not designed to replace the advice of your health practitioner. That said, let's get into today's episode. Hi everyone, welcome back to the podcast. Today I'm talking all about mindset and psychedelics with my guest Alex Manox. So Alex is an Institute for Functional Medicine certified practitioner with a master's in personalized nutrition and a bachelor's in nutritional therapy. He is the co-founder of HealthPath, an at-home functional medicine testing company and co-founder of the Applied Functional Medicine Mentoring Program. He is a personal trainer and is currently finalizing his studies in transformational life coaching. After a powerful experience combining breathwork and psychedelics, Alex is now starting to train to become a breathworker and has a real interest in the power of psychedelics to form a key part in healing and personal growth and transformation. So that's exactly what I want to talk to you today about. Welcome, Alex. Thank you very much. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I think it's been quite a journey from your transition. I think you started mainly in the nutrition, functional medicine space, and then more recently you've shifted. So could you tell me a little bit about why you got into health in the first place? Yeah, so I mean, that story actually goes back to pretty much day one. Um, I experienced really bad eczema in the first few months of life to the point where mum would walk in the morning and I would have sort of patches of blood on the skin from scratching all night. Um, and then when I was five, so it was my first year at primary school, I, I've shared this on my own podcast once. Basically I had an accident in the toilet. So I went for a pee, ended up having quite a bad bout of diarrhea and from memory essentially had to walk back through the school, got found by the wife of our headmaster. She bathed me, my mum came and picked me up. But ever since that, trauma basically mum says that I just refused to go to the bathroom at school so that obviously led to having issues with evacuation constipation that sort of then escalated over the years uh, when I was 18 I got diagnosed with IBS when I was about 24 I self-diagnosed myself so to speak uh, with SIBO doing a hydrogen breath test from biolab at the time um, and because of all those chronic GI issues, had some fatigue in my teenage years, had terrible skin throughout my teenage years. Um, and that's primarily what got me into health. I think uh, tied in with that, I had this sort of plague of injuries. I was a really keen athlete at school, but from 15, 16 through to 17, 18, I just would pick up an injury, try and recover, go back to sport, pretty much on day one, pick up another injury. And I think that really tied in with everything that was going on physiologically with systemic inflammation and stuff that I imagine was driving a lot of those symptoms. So I was having loads of physio, loads of osteopathy, loads of sports massage. That kind of got my interest in, in the human body ultimately. And that's why I went on to become a personal trainer initially. 
and then it was all the sort of IBS nutrition stuff that got me into nutritional therapy and then functional medicine came along as well. And what about the breath work and more recently the energetic side of things has that been that you got to a certain point with your health and found that there was this next level you could get to? I think it was a combination of a few things the the psychedelics and breath work for me pretty much happened simultaneously so I I was feeling like in my own life I was lacking something just from a like a a holistic perspective I wasn't feeling as connected to anything as much as I wanted to whether it's myself Katie my wife family just the world at large ultimately and like many people over the last couple of years I read Michael Pollan's book How to Change Your Mind and that blew my mind basically I was completely naive to the world of psychedelics before then um, and I had this really strong calling to explore it So I started looking around and online and what the options were. I came across Synthesis Retreat in the Netherlands, which are one of the few companies basically that offer legal psilocybin ceremonies. Um, I spoke to Katie. We both liked the idea of doing it somewhere where there were experienced facilitators, etc. And I managed to persuade her to let me go over to the Netherlands and basically have this retreat and experience. And it was in the morning of the psychedelic ceremony where to kind of get you prepared and to get you, I guess, open to it, you, we do a, a breathwork session as a group. And it was in that breathwork session, the first ever breathwork session I'd done where I just had a, a life-changing experience just through the breathwork. So there was this overwhelming emotional release, which was both um, sort of ecstatic laughing, like proper belly laughing like we do as children that I think many of us kind of almost grow out of as we get serious into adulthood. Um, And then deep sadness. And I think the sadness was partly that we have access to all of this stuff just through the breath. And no one in 35 years had told me that, (laughs) Um, which I think was just blew my mind. And then obviously in the afternoon, having the psychedelic experience and and everything that came up through that, as most people will say, I guess, there's kind of no turning back from that. Um, so I, for the last two years now, have just been really fascinated by all the research that's coming out on psychedelic therapy and psychedelic science. Um, I'm now training to become a breathwork facilitator. Um, and I see it as a really key tool both for like personal spiritual growth, but also for healing. Um, There's some really interesting papers that have come out on psychedelics and the anti-inflammatory properties they have um, and the theories around how they may be able to help people with things like autoimmune conditions, especially when there is things like trauma in our past, which we know has such a big role to play within our overall health. So I see it as a really great, complementary tool to the more kind of physical functional medicine traditional stuff that we all talk about as well and these are definitely banned in the uk what about other countries like america Uh, good question so to my knowledge um there's the netherlands there's portugal and then there's been this huge wave of legalization in the states over literally the last sort of two three months So there's been lots of um, kind of voting going on and places like Oregon, I think Washington, um, among others, California, obviously, with certain marijuana. I'm not sure about psilocybin, but it's becoming more um, 
accessible, I guess. Um, and some people certainly think that over the next few years, there will be changes in the UK with the policies as well. And there's obviously a lot of conversations going on around what that is going to look like and some of the the things we need to be mindful of in regards to how it's regulated and how it's managed, because obviously many know that in the 60s and 70s, there was that kind of wave and that got, uh, what's the word I want to use? Well, essentially it got sort of shut down for various reasons. And I think some people are mindful of, of not impacting this movement because it would just take one mistake ultimately for that to go, for that reoccurrence to happen, I guess. Yeah, what was that? Why, why was it like so big and then it just got shut down? Yeah, I think um, there was obviously the whole counterculture in the 70s and Michael Pollan talks about it in, in his book. And from memory, I think one of the primary theories is around the fact that there's a theory that the wide use of psychedelics back in the 60s and 70s actually was one of the things that sort of facilitated the counterculture movement. Um, and as a result, governments decided that maybe it was a good thing to shut this down ultimately so all the research had to suddenly stop um, and there was just a, a silence for a good sort of 20 30 plus years um, and it's probably been the last decades where universities like Imperial and King's College London and Johns Hopkins in the States among others have really started to push this research forward again and we're we're kind of picking up from 50 years ago ultimately and I guess you could say the same with the medicinal side of things. If the drug companies know about the benefits and they just try and suppress it like they do with herbal medicine, that would make total sense. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we're in the Netherlands. I'm not quite sure what it's like in the other countries, but it's actually only the truffle which is legal. So when you go to somewhere like synthesis, um, you're not consuming the actual mushroom or the psilocybin mushrooms. You're having the truffle, which is essentially i think i'm right in saying like the mycelium basically mm -hmm. so it's a bit under the ground so as soon as it pops up from the ground it becomes illegal um and truffles i always describe as um imagine crushed up walnuts basically um that they look a little bit like that um i think they've got a little bit of kind of a nutty taste um and in a lot of these sort of ceremonies you won't be munching on them like you can you kind of make a tea from it um and the beautiful thing about a lot of these companies is they, they kind of blend the, the modern element and the clinical element with the sort of ancient wisdom of some of these practices as well. Um, and that I think really appeals to me because I think you need a little bit of that context in regards to where these things have come from and how they've been used for thousands of years, <laughs> excuse me, um, rather than it just being kind of a, a clinical, almost kind of medicalized setting. Um, I think it's really important to try and get that balance right, I guess. Definitely. It is something that I've been interested in as well. I'm definitely going to do it at some point. But I'm, like very, I'm a very sensitive person. I've like never touched drugs in my life. Had you had any experience with like recreational drugs or anything before? Or were you brand new? I had, um, had experience with marijuana before, um, but that, that's it. Okay. Um, and that was kind of quite a long time ago as well. So... Um, I think it's it's kind of nice in a way to kind of go in blind to some degree. I mean, synthesis certainly do a great job of having pre-retreat sort of webinars and there's books that they recommend you read. And I, I did do all of that. There was one guy who came onto the retreat who hadn't done any preparation and he was literally kind of completely clueless as to what was going on. And I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing, 
but I, for me, I liked the idea of having as much context as I could and, and reading other people's kind of experiences going through a psychedelic experience and the possibilities of what can come up because I think that even minor level of familiarity allows you to navigate the experience a little bit better and, and that ability to navigate the experience I think will probably reduce the risk of having you know these bad trips that we all hear about um which i'm sure we can kind of touch on as well but yeah i think um going back to kind of michael pollan's thoughts as well and this is definitely something that can be debated but at what age is it best to kind of do these things um obviously there are people who do them sort of in their late teenage years um part of me wishes i had just so i have i've had a longer time to kind of explore this world but at the same time i feel like being 34 35 where i was in my life it was probably the perfect time ultimately and that's the the, the reason it happens the way it did mm -hmm. and what's the actual mechanism of action with psychedelics is it known or is it just like a theory Ooh, still now you're challenging my brain <laughs> so it's related to one of the serotonin receptors i think it's 2a from memory maybe um, so yeah, there is a lot of um, mechanistic understanding about how these things work. Um, so it is influencing neurotransmitter pathways, but there's also research talking about how some of these psychedelics, not just psilocybin, um, inhibit things like NF-kappa-B pathways, hence they have this kind of anti-inflammatory property as well. Um, so there's more than one kind of mechanism, but I guess the main uh sort of psychedelic mechanism is related to the serotonin i think it's the serotonin 2a receptor which is kind of being involved in that mechanism um but i'm i have a, a good friend and colleague who i kind of i think i agree with in the sense that part of me is really interested in sort of the science mechanism parts of things and then part of me wants to kind of just leave that and enjoy the experience for what it is and not get too bogged down and I think at the moment I've kind of tried to balance between the two where it's it's interesting and I quite like reading the research to that level but at the same time it's the experience ultimately that is gonna shift things. And it's the same with some of these other energetic practices like emotional freedom technique or Reiki there's probably not a um, gold standard study on there to know that it works we don't really need to know how it's working you'll, right. you'll just notice afterwards that you feel different. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And with the serotonin piece, is there a group of people who shouldn't be doing this? What about, I'm thinking of depression, mainly are people on antidepressants? Is yeah. that a no-go? No so with that, I think it's safe to say that if you're on antidepressants, then it's a no-no. However, obviously in the research, there's a lot of research being done on psychedelics and depression. So it has a really powerful impact at least for a subset of people with depression so studies have shown that sometimes just one psychedelic experience is enough to how do i want to put it essentially is enough to let's call it reverse depression for up to a nine month period so unlike sort of antidepressants which obviously we take every day and have a sort of modulatory role within some of these pathways we can take one dose of something like psilocybin and have a pretty long-term for some improvement in mental well-being um, 
And I mean, again, Michael Pollan talks about kind of shaking the snow globe. So one of the things that happens when we're on psychedelics is different compartments of the brain are communicating with other parts of the brain that don't usually do so. So there's this massive branching out of communication. Um, and there's an amazing image that kind of does the rounds on social media that um, a group of researchers put together in one of the papers that's been published to kind of demonstrate the the communication that is occurring during a psychedelic experience. So there's this huge shift in kind of neural network activity. And that's another way that I think um, psychedelics can help with some of these mood-based disorders because it is shifting the way we're able to think. It is shifting our perspective and context of certain things. And it allows us also fundamentally, I think, more from a, an experiential perspective to kind of drop out of the head and into the body as well. And that's a massive one that I've experienced during ceremonies, this idea of sometimes I come out of them and it feels like I've pruned my brain. Like there's this, there's this piece that isn't there beforehand because of, you know, modern living. Ultimately, we're overly stimulated. Most of us have too many things going on, etc. And there is this amazing sensation of decluttering the mind after a psychedelic experience, at least for me. Um, and I think that's partly related to kind of what's going on neurologically speaking with that communication. I imagine like closing down, Xing off the windows on your internet browser. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> I'm the type yeah. of person with like 300 tabs <laughs> open. So I would probably benefit from that. But what does it actually feel like during the ceremony? Like when it's happening, how does that yeah so I think everyone's going to have their own experience obviously um for me I to this day get huge amounts of anxiety at the beginning of the experience um so if I share my first experience at synthesis it's probably the easiest way to do it so um we kind of make our tea so you're soaking the truffles in your water uh, you add some lemon because it's thought that that might help extract the, um, the psilocybin. And we use ginger as a kind of anti-nausea um, substance because a lot of people can experience some nausea um, when they're taking kind of high dose levels of truffles as well. And then we walk into the room. There were about 10 of us on this retreat. Um, and you start drinking your tea. The music starts playing. We had Alan Watts as our first track who was, uh, who was talking us through essentially a meditation. So you finish your tea, then munch on the truffles if you want to as well. And then you just lie down and you're on your mattress, you've got kind of your eye mask, so to really encourage you to go inwards and not get distracted by the environment. And I had, I think I was the only one who experienced quite bad nausea actually. So I actually went to the bathroom about 15 minutes after finishing my tea and the truffles. So I wasn't quite sure whether I was going to vomit, but I also felt like maybe I needed a pee. So I went into the, uh, the cubicle, didn't vomit, didn't pee, but started to feel really anxious. And I stood in the cubicle thinking to myself, I don't know what to do. <laughs> what <laughs> I have I feeling, done? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Like, there's no turning back. So obviously with breath work, you can kind of just stop breathing and you're automatically straight away kind of back to normal almost. It's not really like that with psychedelics. So you've got to surrender to that experience. Otherwise, that's one of the things that might contribute to you having a bad trip. 
So I was in this cubicle standing there thinking, I don't really want to go back into the room because I'm already struggling. Um, and then on the wall, well, there were tiles and one of the tiles is a lizard. And the lizard started just walking around oh the wall. Like, oh my God, I've got to get out of here. Um, so I leave the cubicle. One of the facilitators was waiting outside for me and, and she was brilliant. She kind of asked me what I wanted to do. She asked whether I wanted to go outside and just get a bit of fresh air. Um, I love touch, you know, I love holding hands, hugging, all these things. And she just put her hands on my shoulders and gave me just a very kind of grounding touch and a little bit of a massage. And I kind of looked back into the room and everyone's just there chilled out with their eye mask on. I'm like, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> You're freaking um, out seeing lizards everywhere. <laughs> so I was like, okay, there's only one thing I can really do, which is just to go back in and try and surrender to the experience. Um, so I go back in eventually, and it probably took me what felt like half an hour. Every sort of few minutes, I had to take my eye mask off, look up and try and come back to reality because I think for various reasons, I just really struggled to let go. And actually, I think that was a, that was a mirror of real life, ultimately. So wanting to control things too much day to day. And that was just something that very much I was having to play with during the beginning of this psychedelic experience. But eventually managed to surrender. And that's when, I think most of the time, that's when sort of the beauty arises from the experience. So once I had surrendered, I, the only way I can describe it is I was in the cosmos, so I was just in space. And um, during our transformational breath seminar, we spoke a lot about kind of, um, some people called it the source, you know, the gods, whatever you want to call it, the divine, the creator of the universe. Um, and I had a very similar experience during the breath work, because that can be almost just as powerful as psychedelic experiences. But I was in, let's just say, black space, basically. And for half an hour, I was really panicking, worried that I had had a psychotic break and that the doctor who, who comes for the day at Synthesis was standing over me, trying to kind of get me back into the room because um, I essentially experienced what they call ego death. So I, I just was not in my body. I was not me. And I remember thinking, how on earth am I going to get to my bedroom this evening? How on earth am I going to get on the plane tomorrow? Am I ever going to see my family again? Um, and there was just this narrative for a good half an hour of what have I done? Um, am I one of these bad trips that you hear about? Um, and again, that's probably related to kind of very low level anxiety and stuff that I experienced day to day that I wasn't fully aware of at the time, but certainly have become more aware of it now. Um, and that started to dissipate. And then I was like a fly on the wall in this room. And I was just looking at this absolutely ginormous pink octopus. And that went on for what felt like an hour, probably. Just literally <laughs> looking at this octopus move to the music. And a, a, the biggest thing for me of this whole experience was probably the music. So it's coming from a speaker, as you could imagine. So everyone's listening to the same speaker. It's not like we have headphones on, which um, that has been discussed as a way forward for some of these experiences. But that music very much felt like it was coming from within me. It really did not feel like it was coming through my ears or anything like that. It was the most incredible experience. And the music can influence the terrain 
of your inner experience. So, you know, for me, the octopus was almost moving to the, the changes in the songs and things like this. Sometimes walls are shifting in response to the noise and the music. It's, it's incredible and it, it, you just cannot describe it ultimately. But um, afterwards, I was like, what's going on? Why was I just looking at an octopus? But then the octopus represents multitasking, obviously. And that is something I have mastered over the last, <laughs> the two years before that. Um, just, you know, taking on too much at times, juggling too many different things. And I honestly think that that was partly what that was all about. It was just getting me to sit on the wall and watch this octopus do its thing. Um, and another big thing for me was obviously, like breathwork, when you go into these things, especially in a, like a, a group setting, you're, you're always asked around your intention for the ceremony. And for almost all of us on this retreat, it was around connection. We all felt like we could have stronger connection to everything and everyone. Um, and on reflection, it, it really did come instantly coming out of the experience. But that disconnection I felt when I was kind of in the cosmos, worried that I'd had a bad trip, a psychotic break, that I was never going to see my family again. The way that I naturally interpreted it was for me to feel connection, I had to go and experience complete disconnection and have that fear that I was no longer, I was never going to see Katie again. I was never going to see my family again. And it was kind of like, they talk about psychedelic medicine or psychedelic plants, um, having an innate healing intelligence behind them. And it was almost like the plant had decided to create complete disconnection for me to actually appreciate all the connection that I did have in my life that I just wasn't fully connecting to consciously ultimately. So that for me is how it went. So they always talk about the plant will give you what you need, not what you want. So even if you go in with a specific intention, you still have to hold it lightly because it might not be what the plant thinks you actually need. And it could be a very different experience. And if you attach to that intentions too strongly, again, you're kind of fighting the journey and that might contribute to a negative experience. So it comes back to this idea of surrendering to the journey and the process ultimately, and then taking from it what you can. Um, so interesting. <laughs> Yeah, I really no. want to do it. <laughs> and if you I, found like after the, how many times have you done it since? Like, does it get easier or does it get like more, like deeper, like childhood it, trauma and all of that for, comes to for me, for me, I haven't gone to that dose since. Um, I would love to, but I don't want to do it alone hmm. still. Um, so I've done lower doses and uh, to give you context at synthesis, I took 30 grams of truffles. Um, I can take like eight grams of truffles and have a quite a powerful experience, but obviously nothing as profound. So I still get things like anxiety that I kind of have to work through, but I still get that kind of experience of um defragging the brain ultimately afterwards and as a result you get a lot of clarity um and i do find it's the same with breath work i'm finding that i'm able to tap more into kind of the visualization side of things so to begin with uh, with all of this um there were some visualizations but they weren't necessarily really powerful apart from the one at synthesis but that's because i took a high dose of psilocybin in breath work and things often it was kind of 
it was very weak imagery let's describe it like that but what i found is as i've kind of continued with breath work and done some sort of even lower dose ceremonies i'm finding that my ability to visualize is improving i guess and i feel like i'm connecting with parts of myself that i haven't for a very long time because if i think about it you know i was so committed to my career straight out of university I think I just really went into kind of like my analytical, rational, is it right side hemisphere? I always forget which okay. side hemisphere it is. Um, and I think I just lived in that hemisphere for a decade, basically. And I think I lost touch with more the creative artistic side of me, which obviously we all have. Um, and that's something that I'm now consciously trying to tap more into. So whether that's through breath work, um, I'm kind of, trying to strum the guitar on a little bit more regular basis now to get my sort of music um, artist out of me and things like this. And I think it's really important to try and have that balance. And obviously, you know, we can go too far the other side, so to speak as well. Um, but for me, it's really trying to connect with myself because a big thing, and I do think a misconception that's coming out of psychedelics and a lot of the stuff that we can read about on social media and things is, Cersei, from my perspective, I think it's almost becoming um, people, I think, hope it's going to be a quick fix to their long-term issue. And yes, it can be for some, but I would say for the majority, it isn't. So I can use myself as an example. Yes, it's been life-changing, but you still have to do all the work. <laughs> so you take it, you have potentially a really profound experience, but the question is, what came up? What does it mean? And what do you need to integrate into your day-to-day -day life? So they all talk about the preparation to the ceremony and then the integration of the ceremony. And both are really important because the better you prepare for it, the more powerful and um, let's say smooth maybe the experience and ceremony may be. But you have to then integrate the lessons that have come up for you during that experience. And that can be really challenging. That can be, that's by far the hardest part for me. Even if you have somewhat of a challenging trip, coming back to your day-to-day -day life, which may be far away from what you want your dream life to be or what you want your future life to be, but it may be that you also feel that there are things outside your control that are preventing you from integrating some of the lessons you've learned because we are living a life that is so far away from what is a natural life for a human being fundamentally um, you can talk about that from from all sorts of perspectives in regards to a society level to a nutrition level to a, a light level etc um, so one of the things that i found really hard was coming back and sort of saying okay well how can I realistically start to make changes to my life that mean that I'm moving forward in the way that I want to move forward in based on the experience that I've had? And they're really good, like all the companies, I'm sure, my only experience is with Synthesis. I sometimes feel like I'm a, <laughs> a marketing agent for them or something, but they kind of, they said at the beginning, do not make any big life-changing decisions in the next three months sit with it let it settle and try not to do anything irrational potentially um interestingly i've had conversations with people where actually they say are there times when actually you do want to act when you've got that kind of momentum and you've got that belief and that drive might maybe sometimes the right thing to do 
is to make those huge changes, but you still probably need to speak with a, a skilled coach or therapist or integration practitioner to make sure that it is the right decision ultimately at that point in time. Because I came back from my first experience, I was researching psychotherapy qualifications. I was like, I've got to change. Move into Australia. <laughs> yeah, it's more like moving into a tent. <laughs> I want to live off the earth again. And it, it is easy to make some really big decisions. It's also quite easy, I think, not to probably. So the reason why I wanted to bring that up was because unless you start to, I think, reasonably quickly integrate those practices, you obviously will default to your old behaviors. And that's something that I've definitely battled with over the two years. It's kind of making sure that I'm staying aligned to what I want and, you know, building the faith and the trust in myself that I'm worthy of that, that I can do it, that it is um, a realistic, achievable thing for me to kind of persevere with. Um, so that for me is by far the hardest part of this. And that's why having a community is so important. I've just finished reading a book um, by Jules Evans. He's an amazing author. Um, he's got a book called uh, The Art of Losing Control, which I can recommend to everyone. But he's also more recently written a book on spiritual emergencies, which is basically, it's not just about psychedelics. It can happen through meditation and other, um, I guess, energetic practices, basically. But it's about people who, I'm going to put this a little bit um, vaguely and not quite as succinctly as he writes about, but the best way to describe it simply and quickly is these people go into what in the Western world they might call some sort of psychotic break. They're having hallucinations day to day. They're losing a sense of themselves. They've lost their ego. Sometimes they can't go outside. They're not quite sure what's real and what's not, whether that's a car coming down the road, etc. And this is happening to people for all sorts of different reasons. Um, and this is like, I guess, an area that, again, we need to be mindful of. It is not, they're rare, but it can happen. And actually, one of the things that I'm, I think, still starting to appreciate is the importance of actually having a little bit of ego. Um, because it kind of can, can bring you back into your body. And I heard someone who's got way more experience than me in this world kind of talk about this in a really powerful way, which is actually you want a bit of ego probably going into these experiences because it's going to be easier to navigate yourself back out to reality again. Um, and I thought actually that really resonated with me because especially with this idea of ego death, you know, we are human we have an ego we need a little bit of an ego we just don't want a big one um so it, there's a lot that has to be navigated so having a community um or having just contacts of people who have kind of gone through this and you can then share that experience with is really important because actually one of the things that katie and i found a little bit hard was she doesn't have any experience with psychedelics um so it's not high dose and it was really hard to kind of connect over an experience for me that was, you know, in the top five experiences of my life, and then not really being able to explain why or how um, was just like, it was, it was a bit upsetting, it was a bit challenging, because, you know, we wanted to be able to connect to an experience that was really powerful for me. Um, so it's worth, for all of those reasons, I think, doing a bit of reading, looking into it, getting familiar with the terrain, um, beforehand, I think it can just help with the whole process because 
the ceremony is a very small part, very small part of the overall process. I can understand how people could sometimes feel more depressed coming back to real life because they've been on this high or it's like when people go on like a three-day juice cleanse, feel amazing, then they come home and feel depressed. They don't implement everything that they've learned, so they just end up in the same cycle. Um, yeah. And people, have you seen people start to become reliant on the psychedelics? Are they addictive? Like they can only get that high once they go back and do it yeah. at the ceremonies? So psychedelics um, are not addictive. We know that through the research. However, I have, I have reflected on this. I've spoken to a couple of people about it, which is, I do wonder whether the actual experience can be a bit addictive. And especially in people who don't have mess, and this is me just thinking out loud, but maybe those who don't have kind of the, the social skills, who really do struggle to connect with people day to day, you know, if you can go and take some mushrooms and have this massive connection with yourself, the universe, the divine God, whatever you want to call it, then maybe that experience and that feeling can be addictive. And that is why the integration is so important because the question becomes, okay, I've had this profound experience. What are the tools that I can bring into my day that allow me to actually work on this? And that's where breath work, meditation, journaling, time in nature, finding your tribe. So you can talk about these things and you can feel more comfortable connecting with people. Um, all of these things are the, the bread and butter of kind of the psychedelic experience really. Um, and that's really for me why, or well, one of the reasons why I wanted to go into the breath work, I guess, because it is a, a tool that we all have access to. It's legal <laughs> in the UK. Um, and it is a, an integration tool, ultimately. We can use that to to have similar psychedelic type experiences and you can have these profound realizations and moments of clarity and eureka moments during breath work without having to um, do something that's illegal at the moment or travel abroad which obviously has been impossible anyway this year so we want the tools that we can use at home to support our journeys and then for me i must admit my current thoughts on this are having a you know, having like a high dose psychedelic ceremony two, three, four times a year for me resonates and I think really facilitates my journey ultimately. Um, but we're all going to be very different. Some people have one ceremony, won't need another one ever again. Um, I think it partly comes back sometimes to, you know, how high have you built your walls? Um, and I think I built some pretty high walls probably in certain areas of kind of behavior and beliefs um, and I definitely found maybe three months after my first experience that I was like I kind of feel like I could benefit from another high dose ceremony um, just to help you know rewire some of those pathways fundamentally um, but again that's where the integration comes into it and could I have done that better um, because I came back on a Sunday afternoon and admittedly I did kind of just go back to day-to-day -day work on the Monday so I didn't have like a bit of time to properly just immerse myself in reflecting and journaling on that experience and kind of just spending maybe a couple of days in nature and things like this um, so that's a lesson that I've definitely learned from it. Do you love coffee but have been told it's bad and needs to be avoided if you're struggling with hormone imbalances like acne, PMS and period problems. Honestly, most coffee out there should be avoided. 
because the majority are contaminated with things like mold and pesticides, which can drive inflammation and those feelings like anxiousness and jitteriness after drinking. But what if I told you there was a coffee option that tastes great, is organic and mold free, and also provides healing properties from reishi mushroom spores? Enter Organo King Coffee, my latest obsession. I didn't drink it for years because it would always wreck my sleep and leave me feeling like an anxious mess. But King Coffee does the exact opposite. Don't worry, it's not one of those fake coffee alternatives made from herbs. And if you've tried other mushroom coffee brands out there, I promise this one actually tastes good and is way better and provides so many more health benefits. If you haven't already heard of the benefits of reishi mushroom or Ganoderma, then let me give you a quick overview. It's known as the king of medicinal mushroom family due to its superpowers such as supporting healthy immune balance and being an adrenal adaptogen. This means if your immune system's overactive due to autoimmunity, or suppressed because of things like chronic infections, and you're not really sure if your cortisol levels are high or low, the ratio can help to balance things out and it promotes homeostasis within the body. It's also antibacterial, antiviral, antifungal, anti-inflammatory, pretty much everything that we want from a product. Because of its potency, I'd recommend starting slowly if you're someone who's struggling with more complex chronic health issues or is sensitive. If you're thinking, why can't I just take a reishi mushroom supplement? Good question. Organo use a patented process to gently crack the inner and outer shell, offering 99% bioavailability of the reishi mushroom spores. I also explain this as being like the differences with probiotics. The regular lactobacillus, bifidobacterium options that we can all buy readily in health food shops have some benefit, but nowhere near as much as the spore-based probiotics that I use all the time with clients. Wanting to give Organo King Coffee a try for yourself? Visit vivanaturalhealth.myorganogold.com. This will all be spelled out and linked in the episode show notes and also my bio link on Instagram. I really hope you love it as much as I do, but now let's get back to the show. Do you think it's a good thing that it's becoming more accessible and... I know that ayahuasca is quite trendy at the moment, especially in the States. Do you see like people doing it the wrong way or it just becoming a little bit of a, a craze? Yeah, it's a really good question. And I, I haven't thought about it properly, but I definitely, I do know there are concerns within, I guess, the community around it. Um, you know, just how, how do you regulate it? Do we need to regulate it? You know, are we almost overthinking it? Uh, considering this is something that we've done for 10,000 years or something and it, it is in nature, etc. Um, there's lots of different ways to think about it. And I try and not be overly zealous about the whole thing, but I know there have been times where I'm like, I generally believe everyone has the right and should explore this because I, on, I do think it would change society i think i think it has that much power to support us and without wanting to sound too woo woo essentially raise our levels of consciousness as a collective which will really shift how we perceive ourselves nature planet earth and from that perspective i don't think there's anything that compares in my experience and i think it it can have such a powerful role to play but one of the challenges is, you know, when anything becomes a bit of a business, there's always going to be some downsides to it. So people tr basically trying to make money from it. And there's nothing wrong with that per se. But with that, I imagine comes 
concern in certain ways. So yeah. Did you one. see the the Netflix? I think it's been mentioned on Gwyneth Paltrow's Goop series on Netflix and the Unwell series. They were talking about things like essential oils, um, and they did. They were talking about ayahuasca on there, and they were like showing people who have died. But it was literally this guy who was on like fifty medications, um, yeah. who shouldn't have gone there. But I think he falsified the documents and everything like that, so it was really his fault. Um, mm. Have you seen any of those? Um, I think, to be honest, that's probably the only thing I've seen. I think I know on, on Goop what you're talking about. Um, and yeah, I guess that's where like the screening process becomes so important. Um, but there is, you know, there is definitely the dark side to the psychedelic space. Um, there are articles around um, when you, for certainly if you're going to South America to do some of the South American psychedelics like ayahuasca, there are stories of sexual abuse that the shamans have taken advantage of women um, and things like this. So there's definitely the dark side to it. Um, and it is obviously really trendy at the moment. That's something I'm mindful of as well. And, you know, I am playing my own role within that to some degree, ultimately. But I wholeheartedly believe in the medicine in numerous different um, areas of our lives. So it's tricky, and this is why there's so much, I think, conversation happening on all of these different elements of it. Um, I know that Synthesis are now in the process. They've basically brought on um, some of the faculty from Imperial or King's College, um, and they are creating like a year-long program for individuals with depression. So it includes a lot of um, online and I think a little bit of face-to-face -face group support um, facilitated by Dr. Rosalind Watts, who is a psychologist or psychotherapist who was leading a lot of the trials um, that have been done in the UK here. Um, and then they have obviously the psychedelic ceremony at Synthesis in the Netherlands. So we are now getting these opportunities for people with um, things like depression, being able to enter these spaces in a well-controlled, well-managed um, environment with very trained and experienced facilitators and guides. And that's really exciting. You know, it's almost like the next step of, of psychedelic science, ultimately, for the general public as well. Yeah, it's really important. And what is the difference between, is it just where they're used or what they're derived from, things like ayahuasca? Um, and I've heard of Cambo. One of my clients once told me about Cambo. It's something to do with a frog or something. <laughs> yeah, so there, there, there are quite a lot that I'm not familiar with. I, I've heard of Cambo, and I think you're right. I think it's from a frog. Mm -hmm. And then there's one from a cactus. Mm -hmm. um, but I can't quite remember what that's called. And then you've got ayahuasca, you've got psilocybin, and there are, and there are others as well. So they, they're essentially, obviously, psilocybin comes from different types of mushroom essentially uh, ayahuasca from memory is the combination of two different plants like there's a leaf of one plant and the roots i think of another plant and they are made into a, a drink a concoction that i think like takes 24 hours to make and it's an amazing story in itself because the shamans will say that the plants told them which two to mix um which kind of shows you i think you know how connected we used to be to mother earth and how disconnected most of us are and how i think our egos like to 
like to pretend that we don't have that within us and then it's a bit woo woo that people say that plants were telling them what to mix i'm just like no i think that's what we were like we used yeah, to that's be where the majority of our medication comes from right so i think it, i use that as a great example of of how we can start to reconnect with nature and what we can learn from it um because obviously i don't know there are tens of thousands of species of plants and to get the two that create ayahuasca i mean that it's just the odds are stacked that it wasn't chance ultimately, <laughs> um, which is just fascinating. So yeah, um, you've got different psychedelics coming from lots of different types of things, ranging from frogs to mushrooms. <laughs> <laughs> Would you tell people to like trust their intuition? So if they feel like drawn to a certain um, place, like you went to, or a certain type of psychedelic, would you trust that? I think I would. I think I would. I think um, for me, it was definitely an overwhelming intuitive pull at that time to that place with that psychedelic. Um, and there are very, very few. I think in a blog, I listed five things in my life where I've had that sensation. So for me, like, and we all have it ultimately, you know, when you feel really, um, when you're 100% confident and aligned to that decision. For me, I feel kind of very dense. I feel heavy. I feel really kind of solid. And that for me is conviction. And that feeling is one that, you know, I had when I wanted to be a personal trainer. I had when I wanted to be a nutritional therapist, a functional medicine practitioner, marrying Katie, um, buying our first home, and then psychedelics. And I don't think there's anything else in my life where I've had that level of kind of conviction ultimately. So I'm, I definitely think don't force it. If you're kind of, if you're toing and froing, just sit with it. You know, there's no, ultimately there's no rush to, to force the experience. So um, let it call you at the right time, I guess. And how has this changed the way that you work now? Are you still working one-on-one -on -one with clients? And if so, how has this whole world changed the way that you view health, wellness, healing compared mm. to what you were doing before? Good question. So um, I guess I feel like I'm in a, a really big transition at the moment. So ultimately I do, um, to give people insight, I guess, into my week, I do three days uh, for Health Path now. So that is not one-to-one -one work. That's creating content for both the public and soon for practitioners. So I'm creating um, handouts and webinars on all sorts of things from symptoms like what are the things that cause bloating and how can we resolve it through to long webinars on a functional medicine approach to depression and all of these sorts of things. Um, I have the applied functional medicine mentoring program. So I'm mentoring sort of nutritional therapists, GPs and health practitioners in sort of using functional medicine. And then I, I guess probably on average, I have a day a week now, which is kind of one-to-one uh, -one work. And if I'm being honest, this is where I feel like I'm still in transition. So my practice hasn't necessarily changed that much yet because my my vision is that essentially next year probably health path is going to be and the mentorship program will be my two kind of my babies the things that i'm really sort of focusing on but what i want to do is as i get my breathwork certificates and potentially get a certificate in becoming a psychedelic practitioner is you know my kind of let's say five year vision is to be able to integrate psychedelics, breathwork, coaching, um, 
alongside movement and nutrition into either retreats or day or weekend immersions where we're really utilizing all of these tools to support someone's overall growth. Because ultimately, I think if we're healing from a chronic complex health condition, the most powerful way to do that is through growing as a whole person, not by just focusing on a symptom or a test result or just even physiology ultimately. Um, we have to take that kind of interconnected holistic approach. And I think to do that in a sacred space, whether that's one-to-one -one or ideally, I would say even in a group setting, where we're all coming with the same intention of opening up, being honest, being vulnerable, sharing our stuff. That for me is where the healing kind of really takes place. Um, and that's why I love the breathwork side of things because, you know, it was probably two months ago when I did a six day seminar with Transformational Breath UK. And that was, that was probably the most powerful week that I've ever had. There was, we all had these unbelievable emotional releases as you work your way through two or three breath sessions a day with meditations, reflective exercises, pairing up and um, being really kind of honest and vulnerable with the other, for me, six people that were on the seminar. And it was, that is kind of what we're designed for. You know, they talk about, we used to be in tribes of 30 to hundred people. We'd have a role to play within that. Um, and I think that's, a, that's to a large degree what we're lacking in today's world. We don't have these kind of small communities where we feel a real sense of belonging and we have a purpose within that community. Um, and we need to find ways to kind of navigate ourselves back to that. And that can start really small. You know, that's, obviously it sounds really a big thing, but it could start within your family unit, obviously, um, and then branch out from there. Um, so I've got a friend who's actually starting a, a men's group that I'm going to be part of in January. And it's just going to be three months of a group of men showing up and supporting one another and kind of working through our stuff ultimately. Um, and I think we all need those kind of experiences. Um, I think one of the, the biggest things I've learned is we can be so sure that we kind of have our stuff together and that we don't need to do any type of work. Um, but we all do. We've all got stuff that we need to work through. And I think the more we're convinced that we don't, the higher our walls. And this is where breath work and entering sacred spaces can be so powerful for us um, because it's, it's the old idea of peeling back the layers of an onion ultimately, isn't it? So we just, we, we, I certainly find that I can open up more and more with each breathwork session, with each psychedelic ceremony. And yes, there are peaks and troughs. It's not a linear process. Um, but I think if we all did that, the world would definitely just be a better place. It's kind of that simple, really. Totally agree. It's the same with meditation. They say that people who are the least drawn to meditation, the people who say they don't have time, they're the exact people who need to do it. So if you feel right. like, oh, I don't have any trauma, you probably have a ton <laughs> to work yeah. through. Yeah, you know, I was speaking to Richard Blake once and he introduced me to this concept that there's big T and little t trauma. Um, you might not have kind of what we would view as trauma, but you know, we all have trauma. There's no way in this modern world, which is so alien to how we've evolved, that we don't have trauma fundamentally. Um, you know, think back to my 
um, toilet accident when I was five. That's that was a little, definitely a little T trauma, if not a middle T trauma. Um, so it's appreciating that, and there's nothing wrong with it. You know, one of the things I've realised is the idea of kind of independence and being this resilient person who can just do his own stuff and get on with things and doesn't need help. That's not a positive thing. Um, that is a sign that actually there's probably some stuff that we need to work through and there are some lessons that we learn maybe at a young age maybe not at necessarily a young age that that have led to that belief system and the problem is we're all so attached to our own stories and belief systems that we don't see it for what it is um, we all have those blind spots um, so for example my last point point on this is during that experience at synthesis um, one of the the guys who came was um, a, an American, but from Indian heritage. And he didn't realize this, but for probably three hours of the ceremony, he was talking out loud, like his inner dialogue where he was talking. <laughs> and, and for the first hour and a half, I was like, why is my ego speaking in an Indian accent? <laughs> and I, was, I could not get my head around what was going on. But was I like Indian in a past life? <laughs> yeah. And then it kind of suddenly clicked. And for me, it made part of the experience. Like I was in hysterics at times in a really positive way because I was just like, this is hilarious. He doesn't understand what he's saying. And what he's saying is also hilarious. Um, whereas one of the other members in the retreat actually found it really frustrating. And he was like, it's affecting his experience. And that's understandable. But one of the facilitators during this, because this guy left the room for a little bit, she was like, um, she asked something like, you know, how does this show up in your day-to-day -day life? And then the, again, the penny drops and you go, huh. It's like there's always something we can learn. And that's the beauty of it when you kind of come with that beginner's mind and you just reflect on the experience that we're having. Um, same experience, two completely different responses to the experience and both potentially show up in our day-to-day -day lives in different ways. Um, but that for me, I will never forget that experience. I've, I don't think I've laughed as hard as that. <laughs> so good. Yeah. Yeah. I really want to do that. Um, I really want to do a ceremony that you've just sold it to me. <laughs> it's like with meditation as well. When they say if there's a dog barking or if there's a, a drill going in the next room, just try and accept it. And if you're just resistant and trying to make everything perfect, that's, obviously not helping so you just accept and go with the flow so that's mm. exactly what you experience as well definitely do you have like a book on mindset or breath work like a recommendation for that and then one for i think you mentioned the michael michael pollan one could you remind us of the name of that yeah, Michael Pollen, um how to change your mind yes. i think if you're new to psychedelics that's a really great book because it goes into a little bit of the history and the counterculture movement brings up some kind of key events. He shares his experiences with psychedelics, which are brand new to him as well. Um, so that, I really enjoyed that book. Um, there are lots of others. My second favorite is probably The Fellowship of the River. That's an ayahuasca one. So it was a doctor, an MD in America who went down to South America, set up a, um, what would you call it? Let's kind of say a, a facility where he ran ayahuasca retreats basically and he recorded a lot of these these anecdotal um bits of evidence so people healing from inflammatory bowel disease and psoriasis and ptsd 
and each chapter is almost like a, a case study of someone who's used ayahuasca and it's not necessarily been the only thing but it's formed a key part of how they returned to health and wellness so that was a really enjoyable read so that's probably my second favorite one and in regards to breath work um a lot of people probably have heard of breathe by james nestor that's kind of doing the round still that's came out recently which is a fantastic book so that's probably my go-to at the moment for breath work but there's also richie bostock who's got his book exhale which came out very recently um for people who are interested in more like day-to-day -day breath work in regards to making sure their breathing patterns are efficient and well day-to-day then Patrick McCohen's work and The Oxygen Advantage is a really great book, um, which I definitely recommend for like practical assessments and exercises to support our day-to-day -day breathing. Because it sounds very silly, but I honestly think that, and there's research I show this actually, that most of us have dysfunctional breathing patterns, which have a huge impact on many areas of our health ranging from cognitive to gut to detox to lymphatic and the list kind of goes on so it's it's funny and sad that you know we need to relearn to breathe many of us need to relearn what a healthy diet is many of us need to relearn how to move well like we're we are fundamentally very detached from a natural existence and this is just showing up in the fact that we are relearning a lot of this kind of science that used to just be ancient or intuitive wisdom for for us um so it's exciting you know we're coming back to the breath we're coming back to psychedelics and we're coming back to more primal natural ways of living so it's kind of really i think we're at a really exciting time in sort of science and 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 culture at large i guess ultimately agreed so many people are now just reaching for a supplement to help with brain fog but they could just not be breathing deep enough right always start with the basics people <laughs> yeah so you know if you're yawning sighing mouth breathing so if you wake up in the morning with a dry mouth or if you just know that your sinuses are constantly bunged up so you're breathing through your mouth if you've got cold hands and feet they're all signs that you've got dysfunctional breathing patterns and there is research showing that if you've got dysfunctional breathing patterns you've got dysfunctional movement patterns so if you're an exerciser as well you've got this kind of double whammy going on what are your thoughts on the Wim Hof breathing techniques you know what, I actually, I don't have much experience doing it. I've tried it a few times and I've enjoyed it, but it, it's never been something I've, I've done regularly. Um, I think it's a great tool and I, I kind of want to do it at some point just as an experience, ultimately go and do kind of one of their retreats where you're climbing in the snow with your shorts on. Um, but yeah, I don't actually have much experience with it. What I would say is different breathwork has very different um, benefits. So Wim Hof, from my understanding, you know, there's not so much of a spiritual side to it. Whereas transformational breathwork, where you're doing potentially an hour long breath session um, with music, you, you will go, I think, and in my experience, to very different places with that. And then obviously the, at the end of the spectrum, you've got holotropic breath work, which is like a two and a half hour breath session with really loud music. And that, is, that was set up or created by uh, Stan Groff once psychedelics became illegal because he wanted something to facilitate that sort of um, altered state of consciousness. So holotropic breath work is like your longest session really where you're going to have 
like the most profound experience, typically speaking. And then you've got maybe at the other end of the spectrum, kind of Wim Hof, not that it's not as equally powerful in its own way, um, but I would say they're probably quite different um, schools of breathing. So if someone's done one type and didn't really resonate, like don't rule out breath work completely. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's the same with practitioners. You know, we're all going to get on with a different teacher even. So um, there are lots of reasons why you might not get on with it the first time. And it's the same as psychedelics, really. The first time might not be your most profound experience, but don't give up just because you tried it once and you didn't think it was as profound as what you've heard. Um, there could be reasons for that as well. And it may be you need a few sessions to, to open up to that kind of space. Mm -hmm. And I always finish up with a few more questions for you personally. So the first one is, what's one product that you couldn't live without? So this could be a supplement, a herb, an appliance. Oh, it's such a good question. Um, I'm sure you've got all the gadgets and you've got a yeah. supplement cupboard. Um, I do really, from a product perspective, I do really love adaptogens. Mm -hmm. um, in particular for me, just, you know, nothing special. Ashwagandha and rhodiola as a combination of, have really shifted my health at times in the past. Um, and I'm still a really big fan of those. Um, there is some, not anecdote, there is some uh, animal research certainly talking about, I think ashwagandha is a prebiotic. Um, they obviously are beneficial from a cognitive perspective, but when you appreciate how stressed we all are. Um, yes, we want to kind of deal with that fundamentally, but these adaptogens have a role to play, not just within our kind of stress resilience and stamina and endurance, but in lots of other bodily systems as well. Um, so I do like those. Um, anything else? What about medicinal mushrooms? And how do they differ uh, from the psycho psychedelic or the magic type? Yeah, so I guess, you know, fundamentally, they're not going to give us obviously the same psychedelic experience. But from what I have read, they obviously have a huge role to play within the immune system in particular. So I am a big fan of medicinal mushrooms. And actually, there's a reishi tea that I really love that you can get off Amazon. I actually can't remember the company, um, but it's just an organic reishi tea. And that's both delicious, but I also... I generally think I feel a difference when I'm having a mug of that a day. Um, so medicinal mushrooms are something most of us should be consuming regularly. I think there's such great research behind them. And in fact, I, I would like to incorporate them more than I do. I just need to maybe find some new recipes or something. And they're still going to give you benefits for the brain, especially ones like lion's mane, like really good for, um, is it BDNF production? Yeah. In the brain? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so you've got obviously things like Four Sigma Coffee as well that contains some of these things which are quite popular in, I think, like the biohacking space and stuff like this. So, yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot to be said on that. And I keep meaning to kind of sit down and do a proper dig into it. Um, but yeah, Four, Four Sigmatic is a good range for coffee lovers who want to get the benefits of some of these medicinal mushrooms. Um, and there's also, can you, there's a, um, oh, am I going to remember them? I like the Organo one, Organo King coffee. That's got the reishi spores in there. That's really effective. Nice. Yeah, I think actually Sachin Patel mentioned that to me once on when I interviewed him. Yeah. Um, I need to check that out. So yeah, I would say adaptogens, I'm always a big fan of. I talk about them quite a lot with clients sometimes. Um, but yeah, that's another good shout. What's your go-to breakfast if you're a breakfast person? 
Coffee. Okay, yeah. <laughs> you do the whole bulletproof? No, just no. a clean black coffee. Uh, that is my meditation every morning. So I brew my coffee, I go outside and watch birds fly over and just kind of ground myself ultimately and try and get out my head. And that's kind of how I start every morning. Um, that was simple. Love it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's it's crazy powerful as well. You know, especially... The benefit, I think, of this time of year is you can obviously, it's really easy to watch the sunrise. <laughs> um, so yeah, I just encourage everyone to get outside, get some fresh air, get cold, nothing wrong with that, um, and just enjoy however long you can. Um, it really can make such a profound difference to our moods, but also obviously from just a circadian perspective, getting that morning sunshine, as we all know and everyone's starting to talk about, it has a massive role to play, especially if you struggle getting to sleep in the evenings or staying asleep. It's just the most powerful cue we have for a healthy circadian rhythm. People don't think that. They think like, what's your evening routine? Obviously screen, right. like limiting blue light in the evening is important, but actually what you do in the morning with breakfast or sunlight exposure exercise could actually make a big difference. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's a really good point. You know, don't think about your sleep from the moment you wake up basically what's one piece of advice so to sum this whole episode up to, and to leave the listeners with what would that be oh um do your homework yeah you know so if if anything from today has resonated then you know either reach out to me or someone else and read the books speak to people listen to the podcasts um and also don't take everything so seriously that's they're definitely a lesson to myself that i'm telling myself to do right now um mm -hmm. you know, we need to i think hold everything a little bit lighter than we do uh, including our health journeys it can definitely resonate with your experience and the the type of personality you had before so i've definitely been inspired to give it a try at some point hopefully in the next few years and then i'll share with you my experience nice yeah we'll get you on the want to see some dancing animals as well <laughs> and last question alex is where can people find more from you online so your company your podcast yep so um healthpath.com is how you can find me through healthpath my sort of personal website is just alexmanos.co.uk um my instagram is where i'm kind of i guess online so to speak and that's just at alexander manos um, and I've actually just started a new Instagram account called The Father Archetype. Uh, and that's going to be more about this sort of stuff. So I become a dad for the first time in March. Um, and over the, these two years, you know, I'm just interested in rituals, sacred space, breath work, masculinity and men's work. So the new account's going to kind of be that side of what I do. And my Alexander Manos is more kind of the functional medicine microbiome type stuff. Yeah. So you you do a ton of stuff. So someone's going to find something they resonate with. Hopefully, yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Well, thank you so much. I've really enjoyed this conversation. Oh, thank you. It's been fun. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did and you would love a free copy of my hormone-friendly recipes guide, please leave me a rating and review, and I will email you a copy as a thank you gift. All you need to do is screenshot your rating and review and send it to me at hormonesinharmony@gmail.com. This guide contains delicious gluten, dairy, grain, and refined sugar-free recipes, and all the meals contain specific hormone superfoods. Don't worry, there are no boring salad recipes included. Come and say hi over on Instagram at Viva Natural Health, 
as I share a ton of free content every day and you can get to know more about me and how I stay hormonally healthy. If you haven't already, check out my website, vivanaturalhealth.co.uk, for my blog and many free guides which cover everything from clearing acne to gut health and hair loss. If you're ready to identify and address the root causes of your hormonal issues, whether that's acne, PMS, PCOS, hair loss or problematic periods, take that first step today and apply for an enrolment call on my website. We'll use this call to discuss the steps that you need to take in order to achieve hormonal harmony and how I could help you get there. See you back here next week for another episode.